again, what a wonderful, wonderful truth and what wonderful truths we have been able to sing together this morning. Children, you can head out to Children's Church and so grateful for that part of our ministry. Children being able to learn on their level, that's a good thing. Well, it's good to be back in the pulpit this morning. I am so grateful for the ministry that Pastor Josh uh, had to us all over the last several weeks. And uh, even though I was, Renee and I were not physically here for most of that, we watched every week online. And uh, so, so grateful for. Uh, that ministry walking us through chapter 6 and 7 in Romans. Uh, for those of you who, uh, which most all of you, don't do what we do, that's not real easy. Uh, for someone to go, okay, tell you what, I'm going to finish up in chapter 5, now here you go, you take chapter 6 and 7, then I'll get it back from you and go to chapter 8. <laughs> uh, that's not as easy as it sounds. And, uh, but thankful for the ministry um, that uh, both Andy Gleiser had to us all the way back. Feels like further conference was a while ago, but really uh, opening up the door on that chapter 6. And then Pastor Josh just taking us right on through uh, chapter 6 and chapter 7. Um, commercial for the next, uh, just for the next few weeks, just so you kind of know what's going on. Um, over these next few weeks, we're going to look through chapter 8. There is a lot in chapter 8. We're going to take a great big chunk of it this morning. I, I admit that. Um, reserve the right to reach back occasionally and grab some things. Because um, we're going to look at 17 verses this morning. And the truth is, uh, ultimately, we'll work through the whole thing. There will be five points. And uh, we got some positive reviews about Pastor Josh's notes last week. So there are some note sheets out in the lobby if you want to pick one up for today. But um, we're going to kind of look at that. It'll be a bit of a survey, but I trust, because uh, I could preach, and quite frankly, I have preached a single sermon on every one of these points. Um, but I, I trust as a survey, you'll be able to kind of see it, the full context of it. Grab hold of that whole thing, because it really is, as we've already sung together this morning, uh, coming through, and it was just, you know, the, the thank you, oh my father, Why? For giving us your son, for sending your spirit. And that's what we see in these chapters that has unfolded here before us. That's what Paul was doing in the first century uh, as, he, as he walked the believers from chapter 5, now as we enter into chapter 8. So we're going to look at chapter 8 over the next few weeks. And uh, then in August, I'm going to take four weeks and we're going to kind of prepare uh, ourselves as a ministry for the coming fall, for uh, Wednesday night, uh, growth groups coming back together, talk a lot about that, uh, what's the biblical basis for that, how it's going to be structured, but uh, really kind of looking for four weeks uh, intently on the subject of discipleship, then we'll get back in September, we'll get back into uh, to Romans, but uh, for this morning, let's open God's word, let's look together at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, and uh, follow along with me, won't you, uh, as I read this aloud for, for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if the Spirit is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And God's people said, I mean, there are, there are some big nuggets to jewel, to, to, to relish in, to cherish in that passage. I mean, yes, you could preach an entire message on verse 1. Uh, we, we could extract from here any number of these truths. And, and just revel in them. This morning I want us, as I said, to see and to, to kind of follow the flow that Paul has given here to us. Because chapter 8 flows from chapter 6 and 7. But it's also uniquely linked to the end of chapter 5. Via the word condemnation. It's one of those things where we, we get, we really get into it. And it's good to get into it and to be intense and to, to really see what's being said. But it's like in our technology, technological world today, right? It's, it's like on your iPhone doing live versus still shot. And, and some of you know this, if you, you have your camera set to live, basically what it does is it takes a really tiny video clip. And then you can go back and you can go frame by frame, minute by not minute, and find the best frame where everybody's smiling and their eyes aren't closed and so on and so forth. And the guy in the background's not, you know, there. It's good to be able to see that frame by frame. But sometimes when you're going frame by frame like that, you forget, what, what's this whole thing about? And so that's what we see from chapter 5. Remember, as we look back at this weeks ago before Memorial Day, we asked that question. How did we get like this? I mean, we know we're a mess. We know our world is broken. We know that we all struggle still with temptation and with the old man. Paul goes into great lengths in, in these passages as well as others, setting aside, you know, flesh and the spirit. Old man, new man, right? Put off, put on. Because that's the life we live. As we looked in chapter 5 and mentioned to you that Dr. John MacArthur said it's one of the most enigmatic passages in the entire book. Can we look at it and go, What? But really, what Paul is doing, he's just setting out the doctrine of original sin. It's in theological terms, which we call martyology. It's, it's that doctrine where the, where the scripture teaches us what is sin. Where did it come from? How does it impact us? The sin nature leads us to death. Righteousness leads us to life. That's why we can sing. Then I'll stand in glory. That's why we can sing those wonderful truths of 
what it's going to be like then. What we have to look forward to. Paul, in chapter 5, is illustrating as well that wonderful doctrine of justification because he uses those two parallel examples, remember, of Adam, kind of the old man, flesh, Christ. And they're really more of a contrast than a comparison. We asked ourselves that question, how do we get like this? But it also answers the question of how can we fix it? And that leads us into chapter 8. And that's why he kind of explodes here with this exclamation. Again, remember, Paul did not write a big number 8 in front of this paragraph. He's writing a letter. This is the next paragraph, kind of the next thought. And he says there, you know, he, the Holy Spirit's told him, you need to flesh all this out. You need to take them through chapter, what we now have as chapter 6 and chapter 7. And it's almost like it's pent up inside of him. And he writes, there is therefore now no condemnation. He'd been holding on to that word for a while. Because in chapter 5, Paul revealed the, the reality that we are not naturally good people who mess up occasionally. We don't become sinners. We are born sinners. It's a big difference. Yeah, MacArthur said the inherent, the inherent propensity to sin entered the human realm and men became sinners by nature. You see, the humanist mind has that all backwards. The humanist mind looks at people and says because of their upbringing, because of their situation, because of the struggles of society, because of, you know, perceived slights or, or real, real slights, whatever the case may be, that's why they are what they are. That's why they do what they do. Scripture turns that on its head, rightly so, and reveals to us, no, that's not the case at all. In fact, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. We don't become sinners because of circumstances in our life. We are born sinners. But there's hope. There's hope. Sin isn't just what we do. It's what we are. And so we can't get to God. So he came to us through Jesus Christ. And so Paul moves from condemnation to justification, and that's what he does back there in chapter 5, verse 18. You can remember back there, you can flip back there if you want to, but it may just be a page over or two. He says, therefore, as one trespass, Adam's sin, led to condemnation, there's that word again, for all men, so one act of righteousness, Jesus, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, and so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned to death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Enter then in now, he has looped back around to it, to chapter 8. There is, therefore, no condemnation. What ways does a person's life change after they become a Christian? There are physical changes, there are spiritual changes maybe, you know, physical in the things they do per se. Spiritual, certainly, in the dwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus, in his preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, said, By their fruits you will know them. Paul addresses that reality. I mean, there are a lot of moral people in the world. There are a lot of nice people. There are a lot of people who do good things. Do you notice what I said there? Because I... I 
that was one of those where you're, you're preaching that is not in my notes, but I'm catching myself as it's coming out. Because I did not say there are a lot of moral, or there are not a lot of people who do moral things. There are not a lot of good people. There are people who do good things. Again, human nature, humanist philosophy says, well, these are all just good people. We're all sinful people. But even sinful people can do nice things, good things, moral things. But Jesus lays out the truth during his ministry. And of course now the apostles are fleshing it out in, uh, in the rest of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit's confirming it. And when he says, by their fruits you shall know them, there's a difference. I mean, who doesn't like to get something new, Right? We all do. Whether it's new or new to us, we like to get new things. And there's just something about that new car smell. Why do you think they figured out how to put it into a can? So that after your kids get out of their car seats and you get the, uh, you know, the spilt milk and everything from under the seat. Some of you live in that. You can at least get a can of new car smell. We all like that. Our relationship with God through Jesus Christ gives the believer an abundance of new things to enjoy. We go from the flesh and death and sin. That's what Paul just said. This flesh leads to death. To a whole bunch of new things through Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because righteousness leads to life. What do we have to experience, to enjoy, to revel in? And that's what I want us to see this morning as we look in very big picture in these 17 verses. Through Jesus, the believer has a new walk. We have five things that we're going to see here. All right, so there's new life in and through Christ with the Spirit. And the first thing that we see is we have a new Walk. That's in verses 1 through 4. Now notice in some versions, it does not here in the ESV. I honestly wish they would have, have put this here. Um, but in your, if you have a KJV, it probably is there. In fact, I'm confident it's there. Is there. At the end of verse 1, it says, There's there, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then it says, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. That's actually a very helpful little clarification. It's not in most of the original, oldest manuscripts um, that we have. But it's a really helpful clarification for what's coming. There's no condemnation, all right, for those who are in Christ. Because why? Because they don't walk after the flesh, but they walk after the spirit. We live our lives differently. Not because... We're necessarily better people, but because of the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us. You know that old saying, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks? There's a lot of people who can talk a good game. They know all the words to say. They can smile and nod at the appropriate moments. But how do they really live their lives? Now really a better way to look at that, because that sounds really judgmental. The better way to look at that is to as do as James tells us. Look in the mirror of God's word and go, how do you live? Because to all of us, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You can go tomorrow to work or with your friends or whatever else and talk about going to church on Sunday. But when the contract falls apart or the customer is rude, then what comes out? What's your walk? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. What's the walk? You see, because of the Spirit, there's a new walk. 
There's a difference between walking according to the flesh and walking according to the spirit. Those who are walking according to the flesh, yes, they might do moral things. They might do nice things and good things. They're just doing it under their own steam, under their own power. And that runs out rather quickly. But under the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a new walk. And yes, we can encounter the same difficulties, the same struggles, the same trials, the same injustices. But through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us and through us, we can overcome them. We can respond as Jesus did with grace, with kindness, with patience. In the flesh, we react. In the flesh, somebody says something, I come right back. In the flesh, somebody does something, I come right back. You know, the golden rule, do unto others before they do unto you. No, that's not right. But that's how the flesh lives. But yeah, in the spirit, things are said, things are done. But yeah, we kind of run back to that, yes, it's a little cliche, but it's a pretty powerful question. What would Jesus do? Because when we answer that question, what would Jesus do? It tells us what we should do. Because, of course, he, as the son of God, God in flesh, God incarnate, he's living 100% of the time in every moment, glorifying his father who's in heaven. We look at this and we say, well, how in the world am I supposed to do this? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, if we had been left with the law, the law can't justify. The law can't sanctify because of the weakness of the flesh. That's what Paul is talking about. He's linked all of this together as we've walked through. You know, we were enslaved to sin. Now we're free. There was the law. Now, now we're free from that. The law had limitations. Yes, as Paul points out in Galatians 3. There are so many cross-references with, with Galatians in this particular chapter. The law was our tutor, it was our schoolmaster, it was our guardian, whatever word you want to translate there. And it pointed man to a greater need, a need for a redeemer, a need for Messiah, but it failed to provide justification. Hence, the perpetual sacrifices. Verse 3, my heavens, as if verse 1 wasn't good enough. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law had a purpose. The law had a divine purpose. But it came short. We were walking, man was walking under condemnation and despair. But enter Jesus and we now walk under justification and hope and joy and life. The law brought condemnation. Jesus brought justification. Amen? The law brought condemnation. You look at the law. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Jesus enters justification. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, God sees you justified. Just like I had never sinned. This word condemnation, I said it's the link back into chapter 5. It's only used three times in the entirety of the New Testament. Twice in chapter 5 and once right here in chapter 8. And when he used it, they all knew what it meant. I mean, they're, they're just, there was no hope. It was a pronouncement of guilt. Done. No appeal. Condemned. There is, therefore now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What a thought. Do you realize, my friends, this morning, that is the gospel we have to share with neighbors, with friends, with family, with co-workers? The gospel is not, I went to church and you didn't. Boy, are you in trouble. No, the gospel is, you know what? I'm a sinner too. 
but I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can do the same thing. You don't have to just struggle under your own power, try to do it the best you can. You can do it because of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the question comes, are you walking according to the flesh or the spirit? God's solution to the weakness and inadequacy of the flesh was to send Jesus to die on the cross. And then to also send the Holy Spirit to indwell every believer. I reached back a few weeks ago. I had written it in my notes and I went back and grabbed it this week as I was preparing these notes. Pastor Josh said it so clearly a few weeks ago when he was preaching from Romans 6 verses 8 through 11. He said this, quote, For the believer it is incomprehensible that we would continue in bondage to sin just as it is incomprehensible that Jesus would climb back on the cross or crawl back into the tomb. That'll preach. Like, what? Of course he wouldn't do that. Yeah. Because he died once. And he's alive forevermore. That's the hope of the gospel. That's why Paul exclaims, there is therefore now no condemnation. The believer has a new walk. And through that new walk and because of that new walk, we think about things differently. There's also a new mind. Our perspective, our view, our thought processes are changed. Verses 5 through 8, we see this. A believer is going to think about things differently. You see, we're, we're, it's like Christmas morning. We keep unpacking. We, oh, there's another gift? There was, the first gift was a new walk. The second gift is a new mind. Remember, Paul's going to say this here in a few, minute, in a few uh, minutes in chapter 12. It'll take us a bit to get there. But he talks about that in Romans 12, right? Beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is re your reasonable service. Get it? Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do we do that? It's been done for us through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a new mind, a new way to look at things. Notice the progression through the passage. The believer has the ability now to understand spiritual things. In verse 5 he says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. There's an ability now to look at it and go, oh. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, Paul talks a great deal about this. He talks about how those who are in the flesh, the unregenerate. They look at the things of the Spirit. They look at the things of God's Word and they go, huh? Again, kind of, you know, from down south, they look at a calf, like a calf staring at a new gate. What is that? Just think about it. You'll get it. That's how the unbeliever looks at things of Scripture. That's why sometimes when you have a, a conversation that might turn into a discussion, that might turn into a bit of a debate or an argument, Never a fight, but it might be an intense moment of fellowship. That's why they, they just don't get it. Because you're, you've got the Spirit, and the Spirit, we look at the, God's Word and we're like, uh-huh. We might not always fully understand it, but something inside goes, that's right. That's right. Because that's exactly what Jesus said he would do. And so there's a new mind. The believer has that ability to understand these spiritual things. Verse 6, the believer should have peace of mind rather than turmoil. Look what he says there. For, the set, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is what? I love the conjunction. Life and peace. They go together. He says the, the, the mind of the flesh is death. He doesn't have to say in turmoil, that's an understood, right? I mean, we don't even want to think about what is beyond death. I mean, that's just, ugh. But the spirit, there's life 
Jeez. Yeah, I, I don't like everything that happens. I don't understand why everything happens. But I have the peace that passes understanding. That's what Paul talks about in Philippians. Doesn't make sense how the believer can go through the things that happen to us in our life and in this sinful world, in this broken world. The things that even we bring upon ourselves because of our own bad sinful choices in which we still struggle. But even through that, because of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we have life and with that we also have peace. Jesus said to his disciples, peace I give to you, not as the world. Believer's mind is working with God, not against God. Look at verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh, hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. It cannot. Now, he doesn't go to the mind of the spirit there, but he's already set the contrast. And if that's the mind of the spirit, we, or flesh, we know what the mind of the spirit is. The believer's mind is working with God, not against God. Because, he says, the, the, belie- the, the, the mind controlled by the flesh is not in submission to God. That word subject there, or submission, is that word hupatasa. We see it throughout Paul's writings. It's just conflict. You're not going to tell me what to do. No, no, I've got a better idea. And there's that tension, there's that conflict. The mind controlled by the Spirit, though, God's Word says it, and the Holy Spirit confirms it, and maybe even convicts us about it. Okay, I'll do it. And with that comes peace. Paul continues to unfold the wonderful truth. Because as as he said, there's a new walk. There's a new mind. The mind, the things of the flesh, is to be centered on self. The present. How many decisions are made and and that we make are based on immediate gratification rather than, than future glorification. That's the difference between the flesh and the spirit. But Paul continues to unfold all of this. And he reminds the believer of the promise that Jesus made to the disciples in the upper room. There's a new walk. There's a new mind. Guess what else? There's a new helper. There's a new helper. Verses 9, 10, 11. You, however, you're not in the flesh. But you're in the spirit. And if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. You realize what he's saying? When that happens, when you're in the Spirit, you literally have the Spirit dwelling in you. Notice the proper name, capital S. It's not some mystical kind of Spirit. No, it is the Spirit. He takes up residence. God's gift to every believer at the moment of salvation is the indwelling Holy Spirit. What a gift! My goodness! Before, we're helpless. We're in the flesh. We're trying the best we can to scrape and to crawl and to pull ourselves out of the mess that we find ourselves in. We're enslaved. But in the Spirit, Help. Not help is on the way. Help is here. Help is present. This this makes us run back to John 14. Because in John 14, verses 15, 16, 17, later on in the conversation, remember the setting. Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples. The moments are clicking by far too quickly. Jesus had made a promise to the disciples that he would send them a help after he returned to heaven. Because he's telling them, and it's beginning to dawn on them, he's not going to be here forever. And he says to them, guys, you don't understand, I cannot stay. Because if I stay, the helper can't come. But when I go, 
the Father will send a comforter, a help. And he will indwell you. Now think about what this means. The disciples are gathered in the upper room. The situation is already tense. The anxiety is building. Jesus is unfolding for them what is getting ready to happen. The disciples are in a panic. But God has a plan. The Holy Spirit. Think about if that wasn't God's gift. What if we just continued to go on? You know, Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus rises from the grave. Praise the Lord. But the Holy Spirit doesn't come. The message of the gospel keeps going out. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Okay, but we're just going to try to do the best we can. Gospel keeps going. Here we are 2,000 years later. What if every church had to wait their turn for Jesus to stop by? Did you ever think about that? That's what would have happened. Is it our turn? I mean, what a glorious day that would be. We got our turn and Jesus showed up. Hope you didn't miss that Sunday. Take that for what it's worth. No, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Paul's powerful question that he puts to the believers at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, as he so often does, he hits that word, what? I get in real trouble around our family for that because that's kind of what I do. It's Pauline. I'm quoting Paul, so you guys leave me alone. Because I'll, I'll do that. My hearing is getting worse and worse and my wife or the obviously the boys not now because they're gone but they moved out but they say something and I would go what they do not like that they really take exception especially Renee can't blame her but that's kind of what Paul does here a question is asked and he goes what don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you what you have of God, you're not your own. He's building on a theme. He's going to come to that here in a minute in this chapter that we're in. And so it begs that question, are you being led by the Spirit of God? You see, the Spirit of God brings conviction. When we're working against Him, when we're being disobedient, there's conviction. But when we look at God's Word and it speaks to our heart and it goes, that's right, that's confirmation. Whose counsel do you seek each day? The flesh says, I can figure this out. The flesh says, who do I know? Who can I call? Walking in the Spirit, the believer. The Spirit says, Holy Spirit, tell me what to do here. I'm not taking another step until you tell me what to do. It's like back in the Old Testament. Remember in the Old Testament with Moses? When God basically, I mean, he's just kind of had it. And, and God says, go ahead. You want to go, go. Moses is like, ah, take us not, not hence unless you go with us. We are not moving without you. Oh, that we would always be like that. A new walk, a new mind, a new helper. He's there. Where do you seek counsel? Where do you seek guidance? Get into the word. The Holy Spirit will answer the question. Paul now draws a conclusion. We're almost, we're almost there. We're getting there. Paul now draws a conclusion based upon the previous truth to remind the believer that because of these things, there is now a new obligation. Yes, we were enslaved to sin. I mean, there's no out. Okay, we're free now. And again, Paul answered this question, right? You know, do we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. By no means. Paul loves that one too. Pastor Josh brought that out. I mean, Paul's writing this letter from Corinth to Rome. And it's almost as if he asked that question. And you could hear him all the way in Rome from Corinth. No. 
But he does say, thank God you're not a slave to sin anymore, but let me tell you something, you do have an obligation. He says there, and he uses that word, so then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, but to God, to the Spirit. A new obligation where debtors, the believer has an obligation to live in obedience and submission to the Spirit. And this really goes right with that passage we just looked at about what? No, you're not that your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. Okay, so then what? Live like it. The believer's no longer enslaved, but we are indebted. The flesh will continue to pull at the believer and tempt the believer. And there's no obligation to yield to it. But in contrast, the believer has an obligation to obey the Spirit because of the price Jesus paid for our salvation. Paul continues that theme in 1 Corinthians 6. He asks that question, what? Your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost? He goes on, don't forget, for you're bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You're debtors. There's a new obligation. He's answering in 1 Corinthians 6 the same question he's answering in Romans 6. A little bit different way. We owe God this. The crescendo builds. It's Paul's wonderful exclamation in verse 15. As if he couldn't, you know, say it any more, jump up and down any more from verse 1. But then he gets to verse 15. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear. But you've received, and notice here, spirit of slavery, lowercase s, spirit of adoption, capital S. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father! That's what he says. Exclamation points. Daddy! That word's still in vogue in the Jewish culture. I mentioned to you before, I'm current re currently reading Netanyahu's autobiography. It's pretty interesting, but he uses that term a lot. He uses Abba a lot, talking about his father in the book. I gotta tell you, every time I get to it though, it comes to me differently. It hits my ear from Romans chapter 8. We have a new relationship. I mean, this is like Christmas morning. Through Jesus Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we have a new walk, we have a new mind, we have a new helper, we have a new obligation. We have a new relationship. In the Gospels, Jesus was the only person who used this term. In Mark 14, in the garden, he cries out to his daddy, Is it possible for this cup to pass? The Jewish man, the Jewish person in the first century before the cross never would have used this term for God. Friday, we were in Manhattan, down at Washington Square Park, and... These Jewish fellows had these tables set up. Usually I walk by them. I was in a particular mood, so I stopped. Wanted to see what they were giving out. They had these little cards. I'll refer to it probably in the next couple weeks because it was pretty interesting. But anyway, this little nugget. They talked every place on the card. It really goes back to the Old Testament law. But every place on the card, they used the word God like we would because we get that word, right? But you know how it's on the card? G dash D. Why? Because that culture, they would never write the whole name. No way. Because that's, whoa. That's God. The word Yahweh, they would never use the vowels. Why? Because it's incomprehensible, inconceivable for them to look at God and go, Daddy! Paul here goes, we can. The spirit of adoption, whereby we cry. 
Abba, Father. Jesus is the only person who ever used that term. Until. If you allow me just to share something with you that is very, very personal. But it illustrates exactly what Paul is writing here in verses 15 to 17. When we were on vacation a few weeks ago, uh, we came back through Atlanta and spent Father's Day with my parents. And on uh, Father's Day morning, I guess it was, my mother handed me an envelope, manila envelope. It's pretty thick. I opened it up, tilted it, out come stack of papers and pictures. I'd never seen these before in my life. Because you see, on July 20th, 1969, I was born. And on that day, I became a ward of the state of Florida. And I knew that. And I knew that I had been adopted. I've shared that with you before. But this particular group of pa pa papers and pictures, I had never seen before. And in that group of papers was this one. Because this paper is the official document on the onion skin paper signed by the judge on September 22nd, 1970. And it says in the last paragraph, get this in conjunction with what Paul's saying here, adjudged that the petition is granted and the child, Robert Jeremy, that's me, is declared to be the legal child and heir of Danny Millard Sweat and Ellen Louise Tompkins Sweat as if born to them in lawful wedlock and is given the name Robert Jeremy Sweat. Done. Signed. Do you hear what he said? The judge? It was filed. I've got it. That's exactly what Paul is saying right here. We have a new relationship. So, yeah, on July 20, 1969, I was born. But on September 22nd, 1970, I became the son of and the heir to. You see, adoption is a judicial declaration by God that the believer is his child with all the rights, all the blessings, all the privileges. Believers are, as he says there, we get to cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ. Wow. So many people long for an earthly inheritance. But the believer gets to look forward to an eternal inheritance. And this new relationship changes our motivation for obedience. Do we obey because we love God or just because it's easier that way? No, if we are no longer in the flesh but we're in the spirit, we've got a new walk, a new mind, a new helper, a new obligation, a new relationship. And all of this is because of and through the blood of Jesus Christ, Romans 7.25, and through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As a child of God, are you enjoying and realizing all of this newness? Are you fully enjoying these things God has given to you? Friend, if these truths don't resonate with you, then you may still be in condemnation. You may still be in the flesh just trying to do the best you can. But you don't have to stay that way. Because through Jesus Christ, there is justification. There is salvation. Because as he said, confession of sin always equals forgiveness. 
Repentance always equals salvation. In just a few minutes, we're going to sing together as we close our service the wonderful text written back in the 18th century by Charles Wesley. A few years ago, Pastor Josh wrote a wonderful bridge text that we now sing, and we'll, we'll sing it together in just a moment, that explains the glorious truth of Romans 8.1. That old hymn, Arise, My Soul, Arise. That first stanza says, Arise, My Soul. Wesley wrote this, Arise, My Soul, Arise. Shake off the guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. Pastor Josh wrote that beautiful bridge that just drives all of this home. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation. We come in Jesus' Oh, my friend, I trust these truths resonate in your heart. I trust that you do have new life in Christ. I trust that you are reveling in these gifts given to us. If you have not, you can receive that gift today. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. May it be true for you today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it, the clarity of it, the power of it. Thank you for these precious gifts you have given to us. May we revel in them. But Father, may we also realize we are indebted to you. We, we owe you so much. All you ask is obedience. All you ask is that we might serve you. Oh, Father, help us to do that. Help us to be doers of your word and not hearers only. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.